This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's revisit the issue of Twitter laying off a huge chunk of their accessibility team. We talked about the business side of it with Kevin Shaw last week. Well, let's explore the accessibility implications and what you can do as a user to make your posts more inclusive. Founder of Inclusive Communication, Denis Boudreau, can help us with that. Hey, good morning, Denis. Good morning. So, Denis, let's start with the news. I know it's been about a week, and there's been some back and forth here, and apparently some reports of Twitter saying, no, 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 we didn't mean to fire all of you. But what's your reaction to the news that Twitter laid off their accessibility experience team? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm devastated, like a lot of people who have been spending a lot of their time on Twitter over the last 15 or so years. Um, Twitter had grown to be one of the more accessible platforms, uh, like a small but mighty team uh, led by Gerald uh, Jared Cohen um, had, had really built a, uh, an accessible platform with a lot of considerations for accessibility. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, the new owner axing the entire team, well, axing thousands of people, as you know, but the entire accessibility team sends a pretty negative message as to how you know, that matters to him and, you know, how the ability of people who need accessibility to also be factored in and considered, it, it says quite a bit about that, among other things. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't feel particularly great. Like most people, I'm, uh, you know, Twitter and I are taking a bit of a break uh, right now. Like we're rethinking our priorities and uh, and looking for maybe other options that will you know, be more welcoming of everyone. Denis, I know this is a bit of speculation, and I think you just addressed it a little bit in that answer, but do you believe this is going to have a drastic change on the accessibility on the platform? It absolutely will, for sure. I mean, I mean, we, we can expect that the features that are already there are probably not going to be, you know, uh, eliminated. So hopefully, you know, what has been gained will stay. But as technologies evolve, as new considerations come up, because that's always the case with new technologies and, and, new, and new, uh, new, new features, we can expect that things to start getting less accessible over time. Um, there's nothing in what we've heard so far that lets us uh, believe that at some point the energy would go back to paying attention to accessibility as much as it had gone to uh, up until this point. Um, accessibility was never really something that Twitter said, we're going to do this. You had people internally who said, I care about this. I'm going to start doing it uh, in my work. <clears throat> and I'm going to try to you know, influence other people to do that. And that's how a team ultimately came together. It was very much driven by uh, like a grassroots effort within, within Twitter. And with you know, half the team, half, half of Twitter basically having been fired, and rumors of people being brought back only because they need they realize that they actually need to be able to make a transition towards a new team. It's it's doubtful that will that it will it will go back to being as accessible or, or as devoted to accessible as it was before. 
yeah, it, it's it's pretty disheartening. There's there's no doubt about that. And the, the conversations that you've seen from people who formed a community on Twitter the last in the last week or so, oof, man, it's it's pretty devastating when you see uh, when you yeah. see those kinds of reactions pouring in. But Dinny, irrespective of their own staffing, there are plenty of things that we can do as users to make sure our posts are inclusive. You wrote an awesome blog on your website with some tips on this, and we'll get into the specifics in a moment. But why did you put fingertip to keyboard? What motivated you to write it well i mean it's it's what i talk about every day so so you know talking about inclusion talking about accessibility in different contexts is what i do most of my i spend most of my time on so it was it just became a, a another area of interest at some point to say okay so I keep talking to my clients, to whoever will want to listen to me, about the importance of being inclusive in the way we communicate. Um, a lot of us do communicate through social media. So there's a lot of really basic things that we can do to make sure that the way that we communicate our message to our audience, whether it's on social or it's in another, another format or platform, actually has a better chance to reaching more people and, and meeting their expectations and needs. So that was that was basically the motivation behind it. But also seeing a lot of brands out there, uh, you know, being completely clueless about accessibility and putting information out there in a format that is either completely inaccessible or in some cases downright, um, you know, offensive to some people because of the words that they use, because of the way that they provide their information, because of the things that they forget to do. Um, so it was about you know, raising awareness. It was about education um, and, and helping try to help, um, mm. you know, that, that, that particular uh, initiative move forward with, with more awareness. Denis, there were some really great suggestions that I liked, and some of them were just very simple and straightforward. For example, making sure to capitalize each word in a hashtag. I remember the yeah. first time somebody explained that to me, I was like, oh, that's so brilliant. It makes it easier to read for a user with sight. It makes it easier to read for a screen reader. Like, bing, bing, that's a win-win for everybody involved. It's like such great advice. But you dove a bit exactly. deeper here as well. For example, uh, one that you mentioned, and I really need your help with it. What does it mean to turn a visual asset to grayscale? Well, it's all related to you know someone's use of color and and the information that could be conveyed through color alone. So I know as someone who's colorblind, for instance, or or anyone who struggles with color deficiency uh, perception, or like perception with with colors, um, there's a lot of information out there that is conveyed through specific colors. I know red typically means something is has failed, green is something has passed, that sort of thing, um, and and when you turn a particular visual asset to grayscale. If you run a grayscale filter, I mean, there, there's you know tons of them online that will turn your images or, or software like PowerPoint that will allow you to turn everything to grayscale in in your in your slide, you can or, or your website even. You can see if the information that you conveyed through color still makes sense when the colors are gone. That's basically what that is. So if you're conveying a say a, you have a a picture of a of a pie chart and you have four or five different slices in that pie chart of different colors and you relate these colors to a little legend on the left-hand side or right-hand side, you know, with the colors, most people are going to be able to, to, you know, correlate things. I probably wouldn't be because I'm colorblind, so I have a hard time doing that. But when you turn everything to grayscale, then even those who don't struggle with color perception realize that, okay, so I've got a bunch of shades of gray here. I've got a bunch of shades of gray there. Which is which? I don't really know anymore. So it's really about being able to identify if the information you convey really only is conveyed through color. And if that's the case, then you need to support it with something else so that 
when the color is not a way for someone to understand what's going on, then they have something else to like another fallback so that they can still understand what uh, what we're, we're conveying through that information. Dini, one of the tips you had in here is one of my ultimate pet peeves in all forms of communication, including social media. So what about some formatting advice? For example, using odd spaces, uh, spaces or tons of emojis. Dini, I can't tell you how many girlfriends in my life have had to tell them no more emojis. I need you to convey your emotions and words. That many girlfriends, huh? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, well, I mean, it, it's it's so simple when you when you're aware of it, right? Um, so anyone who's using a screen reader, for instance, uh, every one of those little emojis have a particular label assigned to them, meaning that when you run into that emoji, you hear about that label, you hear about that description, so to speak. So if you have, I don't know, a a, a post social media post that has like ants clapping and you've got like 50 of them because you're so happy for that person that you're replying to, then someone who is cited will just look at the entire thing and say, okay, so there's a bunch of, you know, applaud emojis there. But if you're using a screen reader, you're going to be reading through all of them one at a time. So applaud emoji, applaud emoji, applaud emoji, applaud emoji, applaud emoji 50 times. It makes it super painful, uh, you know, annoying to, to, to walk, to go through. And then it's not just emojis, right? I mean, you see posts out there where people are going to play with the formatting to give a particular look and feel. What Sometimes it's ASCII art where you're using a bunch of different characters and you create a particular visual out of it. Sometimes they're going to be using uh, tabs on, the, uh, on their keyboard to create spacing, to create a visual effect. And you know, visually, again, it makes sense. But when you're going through this with a screen reader, you're basically linearizing the entire thing. So the, the meaning is lost. And all you get is a bunch of gibberish that really makes no sense. So the post is completely lost on someone who does not rely on vision to be able to see what's going on. And, 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 and what I was saying in the post, basically, is that a much smarter way, much more inclusive way to do this would be use all these things the way that you want to. But why wouldn't you turn the entire thing into an image? so that everybody gets an image, so visually it's the same thing. And for someone using a screen reader, then you know the alt text that you can put to that image becomes a fallback to the very awful experience you would have otherwise. Mm. So that, that's the general idea behind it. Denis, what about managing links? Because one of the great things about social media is, hey, come read this, come watch that, here's a link. And sometimes when you, I mean, you just use the word gibberish. There's so much gibberish when you see a link getting posted. Yeah, well... Again, so it's, it's, about, it's about awareness. Um, you want the links to be meaningful. And, and oftentimes links are going to be, you know, they, they make sense within context. Uh, and it's your typical, uh, if you want to know more, more about my podcast, click here, for instance. Or uh, if you want to know more about the services we offer, uh, read for more information. And then, you know, more information is your link or click here is your link. You know, those make sense when you're looking at it in context. It makes no sense when you look at them out of their their, their immediate context. And you know, again, for sighted users, that's not really a concern because you know, the context is typically always there. But for someone using a screen reader again, if you are extracting all the links from the page that you're on to be more efficient as you're navigating through things, these links become meaningless. If I have a link that says click here, it made sense within the context of the paragraph it was in. But outside of that paragraph, it's just a click here link. And I'm like, click here, what, what am I clicking on? Where am I going to go? Like, you don't know anything about it. So that's one piece of it. So, you know, making, making links more meaningful means that you're rethinking your copy so that the words that are the hyperlink itself, the words that are linked 
make sense on their own. Even if, if they're extracted from the context, they still make sense. They still give you the purpose of the link and you know what to do with it. And other situations would be things like, you know, uh, using using URL shorteners. So links that are going to be to be shortened so that you know they're they're shorter, but then they lose their meaning again. So trying to avoid these things so that when you look at the link, if it's an actual link, it like you know, and you, you can you can see like HTTPS colon slash slash www blah blah blah. You can see that so that it's easier for people to know where it's going to go because, mm. well, as long as the links do make sense, of course. If they don't make sense because they're just a bunch of letters, letters and numbers, that's not going to help much either. But shortening the the URLs usually also leads to a bit more confusion because you don't really know what to expect. And the whole idea is to make things meaningful and more predictable by paying attention to the links themselves. Yeah, clicking on an unpredictable link seems like a prime way to catch a virus or some malware uh, right, somewhere along right. the way. <laughs> I, In this day and age, I don't, I don't particularly recommend it, so. Denis, your blog had seven different recommendations. We only jumped into a couple of specifics there. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're going to encourage folks to, to go check the blog out in and of itself, but anything else you want to mention just before we said goodbye? Uh, well, there's a bunch of other things, of course. Uh, you know, I quickly mentioned something about describing images when we talked about you know turning the emojis into an, into an image and all that good stuff. Uh, so, if you are on a platform, social media platform that offers the ability to uh, add alt text to the visuals that you upload, you should definitely do that. If you are, uh, you know, uploading video content, you know, making sure that it's captioned, like all all the the usual things that we would want to talk about are are certainly valuable. I would maybe 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 do a shout out to um, Accessible Social. Um, so the author's name is Alexa Enric, I think, but her, her, her website is accessible.social.com, if I'm not mistaken. And she has this really big uh, resource that has become a bit of a be a bit of a reference, really, for social media accessibility. So, if anyone's watching that is responsible for you know accessibility and their for their social media platforms or, or, or brand in general, it's a really great resource to go and and learn more about accessibility, more about inclusion. So, I would I would actually put the uh, you know the the light on her resource uh, much more than than my little blog post there because it's a lot more exhaustive, I'd say. Denis, you're too humble for your own good, but absolutely, we appreciate <laughs> the curation on that front. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. You as well. Thank you very much. That's Denis Boudreau, the founder of Inclusive Communication. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.